What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We're three people that are fans of Ratatouille in every multiverse with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and if Kihi Kwan isn't back for Indy 5, we riot. I'm Keith Baker, and I'm being audited by Jamie Lee Curtis. And I'm Austin Terry, and I've never done my laundry at a laundromat. On today's show, of course, we are discussing the new so-called science fiction, black comedy, action film, everything, everywhere, all at once. And at the beginning of the year, I think in like beginning of January, we did an episode where we talked about the upcoming 2022 movie and TV releases that we were looking forward to. And if I recall, I think there was maybe like a trailer, maybe just like a quick trailer of this that had just come out. And I watched it kind of on a whim. And we talked about it very briefly. There wasn't too much to talk about. But I don't know. What word would you guys use to describe this one? Like, was this one of your most anticipated? Is this one that you are most interested in? Were you excited to watch this one? I mean, this is such a weird movie. I mean, what were your thoughts going into it? Yeah, to use a to use a classic uh, Keithism, I went into this movie completely blind. The only reason I was excited about it was because you were excited for it, Matt. And that was the only intriguing thing. That was the only thing about the movie that intrigued me was you were so high on it. So I couldn't I couldn't wait to see it in theaters. I think I only saw that one trailer from it with Jamie Lee Curtis being kind of this weird office lady looking person. It cracked me up. And then uh, Shorty from Indiana Jones. Seeing those few actors kind of got me a little pumped for it. But as far as like the story and all that, I really didn't know anything about it and what was going to really happen in this movie. I mean, I just kind of had an idea that it was something about hopping universes, but that was about it. And yeah, the only real, I guess, additional level that I could bring to that was just that I knew the Daniels were directing it, who I guess it's, it's crazy to think it's already been, I think, like six years since their last feature film, which was Swiss Army Man, which at its core was kind of a goofy, weird black comedy in the same way this one is, which was about Paul Dano being marooned on an island and he's about to end it all when a corpse played by Daniel Radcliffe washes ashore and they become friends. It's it's kind of a simple premise in its setup, but then it just gets very goofy and surreal from there. So I expected that this one would be kind of the same, and I think it's fair to say that it is that, but times a hundred. So I had that extra level, but You know, now I guess I'll just get into it because it sounds like this is all a movie that we very much so just went into relatively blind. So, guys, how about you give me your non-spoiler thoughts on everything, everywhere, all at once? Yeah, this um, this is a wild ass movie. Like I said, I did go into this completely blind. This might be the most blind I've gotten into a movie in a long time. I had no idea. The only thing I knew was that Michelle Yeoh was in this. I didn't know about the multiverse stuff or anything. So I was completely surprised by that, but in a really good way. Um, I think all the performances are fantastic. I think the way this movie unfolds is entirely original, and it's a very original sci-fi movie, which is kind of rare for Hollywood. Most things are inspired by other elements, or it's a remake or something, and so to see like an entirely original story was really cool and very exciting for this film. I think visually it's a very impressive movie. I think the way it tells its story is very impressive too. Um, my only real, I guess, nitpick with the movie is by the end of it, I was left struggling trying to figure out what the message is supposed to be for the overall film, but I did entirely enjoy the ride to get there and could not recommend this one enough. So I saw this two nights ago, so I've had a little bit of time to let it simmer and let it kind of slow kick in the mind, I guess you could say. When I first got out of theater, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I like that. <laughs> there was something about it that was just kind of throw me off. But there was there was still a lot about it that I enjoy. But now that I've let it kind of sit a little while, I like it a lot more. I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say like the opening I think is awesome. Uh the sci-fi aspects, like you said, Austin, the performances are incredible. All the actors they, they were able to pull into this movie um were great. 
the way the story progressed as it went along was fun, and the action was really funny. Lots of really uh, cool comedic moments. Um, but then my, I think my drawback with this is that the runtime for me was a little long. Um, you could say from our our last review with Morbius, I think Morbius and this should have switched runtimes. Morbius needed some more time. You wanted more time with with Morbius? Is that what I you're asking for right now? <laughs> I think they could have done something better with two hours and ten minutes versus an hour and forty. And then I think with this one, I think they definitely could have shaved off a little bit. I think towards the end, the story was kind of lagging a little bit for me, and I was just kind of ready for it to be wrapped up. But yeah, that's where I'm at. Overall, I enjoyed it, but there's definitely some drawbacks. Yeah, Keith, to jump in just really quick on your point about the runtime, I am with you a little bit there, and I think the only reason you feel it is because the movie is told in chapters, and the first chapter is the longest one. So when you get to a certain point in the movie and it goes chapter two, you're like, oh my God, we have <laughs> two more chapters to go in, in this yeah. story. So I, I, think, I think you feel the runtime because of the way they chose to tell the story in this one. Yeah, so I guess I saw this one the most recent out of all of us. I saw this one last night, and after walking out, I kind of wish that I had seen it earlier in the week, if that was even possible, just so I could kind of be in your guys' shoes and be able to let it simmer for a little bit longer. So I just feel like there's so much going on that it's still hard to process. I definitely liked it, so I guess I'm, a, I'm closer to Austin. Do I love it that much? I don't know yet. Like I said, I kind of want to talk it through more. I think hearing some of your guys' pros and cons will help me go from a potential like to a love, I would absolutely recommend it. Is this one for everybody? Definitely not. I would not be surprised at all if people didn't like this one. In fact, whenever I was walking out of the theater, there were some people next to me, like this big group that were talking about it. And <laughs> hearing some of their criticisms was, it was hard not to laugh out loud because of how crazy this movie is. Um, so maybe I'll mention some of those as we get into spoilers. But yeah, I, and it's funny because I liked it uh, like you guys did, but I guess I have almost the opposite problems in some case. I, I, I hear you with the runtime, but it is weird because it's like two hours and 20 minutes and it got to a point where I was like, wow, yeah, this is kind of droning on a little bit for me. But then I like just pulled up my phone real quick just to see what time it was out of curiosity. And it had been an hour and a half. I was like, oh my God. So it did it did weirdly fly by. So I was kind of close to the end at that point. I was like, oh, okay. So never mind. So that wasn't too much of an issue. And you guys talked about the ending and kind of the third act a little bit. And that's probably my biggest opposite. I wasn't really bought into the movie in the beginning. So I think I was much higher on the ending and a bit lower on the beginning. Even when I started introducing some of the crazier concepts, for whatever reason, it's not that it wasn't crazy enough. It's just that I was like, oh, that's cool. But it's not like it didn't. I guess it just didn't hook me right away. But we'll talk about uh, in a little bit once we get into spoilers. Like there was uh, one moment in this movie that happens maybe like 25, 30 minutes in that really surprised me. And from that point on, I was totally bought in and hooked and I ended up really enjoying it. So I have some questions about the themes of the movie. That's my biggest nitpick is the themes. Oh. I just don't know what, what they were going for. Oh, like okay. I, I'm not sure what the core messages they wanted people to take away from this. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, and it's interesting because like, I think, or at least I know what I think the theme is. I don't know if that's what like everybody else does. That's probably the point. I th I'm sure we all took away different things, which is super cool. Um, but yeah, and of course, we should, it should also be said before we get into spoilers that the thing that's super cool and super different and unique and fun about this movie is that it's just the range that you get, not only in like the actors and actresses' performances, but just in the genre, the way they play with that. I mean, this is like a super incredible, like well choreographed action film. It's a really creative 
interesting, thought-provoking sci-fi story. It's a very emotional, like, family drama. And then at times, like, you're laughing out loud with some of, like, the craziness of, like, not only the situations, but also some of the jokes are just really funny. So that was what I loved most about it, is I just got so much out of it, not only from, like, a thematic standpoint, but just, like, as an audience member. I was like, oh, wow, I was having such a good time, but in different ways, because obviously they're throwing so many different genres at us. I actually think that's the reason I would recommend this to almost anybody to go see, because there are so many different genres here. I think very different people can get very different things from this movie and and really enjoy it. Um, I do think this is one that needs to be seen in theaters. I think it's a very cinematic movie, and I think there actually is quite a bit for everybody in this one. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, I think this is definitely one of those movies where even if you're I think, like you said, Matthew, you saw a bunch of like people there with their friends watching it, and maybe they weren't even paying attention to it at all. They were probably just cutting up. It's one of those movies you, you could probably just put on and not have to pay attention to it a lot of it, and you would still have a good time. Yeah, I think so. If you're someone that's like, oh, I haven't heard too much about this movie, which I'm sure a lot of people haven't, and you're like, oh, maybe I should go see it, I think another reason to recommend it is, it's like, I think the action, the sci-fi stuff is so amazing, but I wouldn't let that deter you. It's, like, There's a really interesting story here. And so that's something I wanted to say as well. I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of people, maybe particularly older people, for example, that are like, oh, that's not for me uh, because it's like too action-y or like it's a sci-fi story or whatever. But there really is like a very heartfelt, I think, drama, like family story at its core. And um, this was just a super cool way to tell it. So I hope people actually give this a chance. And like you said, Austin, I think if, you know, you sit down and watch it, you're going to absolutely 100% get something out of it. Maybe not everything works, but you'll definitely, I think, have a very great time. So I would, yeah, I would recommend people watch this movie. And if you haven't heard of it, yeah, recommend it for sure. Okay. I feel like we have uh, not only scratched the surface, but we have scraped it clean. I don't think there's anything else we can really say without diving into spoiler territory. So if you're curious about every, I would, I would say that that's the thing I was trying to think of earlier. If you're curious about this movie, definitely go watch it. Don't even like Sit around for the spoilers. Don't read anything about it. If you have any interest at all in these performers, like the directors, the story, anything, go check it out and then come on back for our spoiler talk. Go see this one so more movies like this get made. This is a movie that you want to put your money to at the box office, unlike Morbius. All right, guys, here we are in spoiler territory. I'm super excited to get into this one. So many thoughts. Like I said, it's it's been 24 hours since I saw this, but still it somehow doesn't seem like enough time. I still like, don't know how I feel about everything, but let's start off simple. How about you guys run down the cast and crew for me? All right. So Everything Everywhere All at Once is directed by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinhart, who are a directing duo known professionally as Daniels. They got their start doing Foster the People music videos and the very popular Turn Down for What music video. Uh, They eventually then made the jump to feature films with 2016's Swiss Army Man. Our cinematographer is Larkin Seipel, who you may know from also Swiss Army Man, uh, Cop Car, and I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. And then our musical score is composed by Son Lux, who are an American experimental band with over five studio albums. This, however, is their first attempt at composing a musical score for a film as a band. The score also features collaborations with Mitski, David Brin, Andre 3000, Randy Newman, and many more. All right, and let's go into our cast. We got Michelle Yeoh as Evelyn Wang, Stephanie Su as Joy Wang, or Jobu Tupaki, Kei Kwan as Wayman Wang, Jamie Lee Curtis as Deidre Babidra, and James Hong as Gong Gong. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives, what do you got? 
Yeah, I got to give my highlight to Kihi Kwan as Waymond. The way this guy has to perform between him, his self and then his multiverse self, the way he flips that dynamic of like this really innocent, good-natured guy to then this like kind of suave spy. At one point, he's like this wealthy businessman. The way he just changes that dynamic like on a dime throughout the film was super impressive to me. And I think he has some of those heartwarming scenes in the movie as well. Uh, it was good to see him back. I haven't seen yeah. him anything since since Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, I'm pretty sure. Or Goonies. Goonies actually. were the big two. Goonies yeah. would be the last one, actually. Yeah. For me, man, I loved everybody in this. I thought all the performances were so good. It's hard to choose one, but I guess I'll, I'll shout out um, uh, Michelle Yao as Evelyn Wang. I think, like you said, Austin, she was kind of mirrored Kei Kwan. She was able to she was able to bounce back and forth between being like this normal mom struggling with her business to being this lady that's jumping through different universes all of a sudden. And she was able to bring the, the, the drama and like the comedy at the same time. It was, it was just a fun, fun character to watch. Yeah. I mean, as the leads, I mean, they were, I thought they were pretty tremendous. Those two were on fire in this movie and you guys kind of nailed it. I think they're on fire for the same reasons. I mean, the way they just, seamlessly and so easily and so quickly kind of go back and forth between these various versions of the characters. It it reminded me of what we talked about last week with Severance Season 1, like watching people like Adam Scott, like in the snap of a finger, go from their Audi to their Innie in the elevator was just like, oh my God, it was horrifying. And in this way, it was a lot cooler and more fun. But yeah, they were so good. Um, I think the whole cast is great, like I said, but I'm going to shout out somebody specifically. It's hard with this one, guys. It's really hard with this one to not shout out the behind the scenes people. Um, and yeah, the Daniels. I got to shout them out as the writing and directing team here. Like I mentioned, Swiss Army Man is a movie I saw in theaters. I had a fun time with it. I mean, that movie received praise. I mean, people really liked that movie. But for me, it was a little bit of style over substance. Um, I, would, I would say that movie is good. But this, you know, it's been a while since we saw them. It's been six years since that movie, which was, I think, the last one they directed as a duo. Um, and this just feels like they learned so much. And man, yeah, the way they put in emotion, action, comedy, sci-fi, the way it all comes together in one package and it just feels right. It feels like they're always jumping to the right thing. But yeah, I thought they did a great job because this one could easily be... This could be like the poster child for style over substance, I feel like. But even at times where I was like on the verge of, oh, is that too much? I feel like they always had a reason for what they were cutting to. It's like, okay, they just cut to a like a big Grand Canyon and now our characters are rocks. Here we go. What are you going to do here? And then it ends up being this really kind of sweet scene that pays off later because Evelyn like... um kind of rephrases some of the things that uh, Joy was saying in those scenes to her. And that's kind of the reason they come back together when she's like repeating the line about, you know, there being smaller pieces of shit <laughs> whenever you find out new discoveries in the world. It's like, wow, how did they take a scene where there's Google AIs on rocks and make it <laughs> mean something? So, yeah, I thought they did fantastic behind the scenes. From what I've read, it sounds like this was kind of their baby. This is something that they've wanted to do for a long time. And um, yeah, I thought they did a great job. And somehow they make it very easy to get on board with this movie because very quickly they drop you into we're jumping multiverses, we're going to a world with hot dog hands. I don't know how they did it because I feel like a lot of movies would spend three fourths of the film setting up the premise and then the last fourth is like all the really cool stuff and you wish there was more of it and you get right into it like 25 minutes into the movie and it's very easy to get on board and kind of like sit along for the ride. Yeah, it was so trippy. That's the bit, that's like the word I would describe for this movie. Kind of like 
That's the same word I would describe, like the first Doctor Strange is trippy. And that's kind of what I would use for this one too. Like all the different uh, elements that come in from the different universes. And some of them are just like astounding, <laughs> like really surprising <laughs> stuff that comes in. And some of it's so funny. Yeah. And it's like, I think, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but I think what I was saying at the beginning, the reason that the initial maybe 20 minutes or so, I, I really loved, like you guys said, how they so quickly got into it. But the thing that was kind of keeping me from loving it was just like, oh, okay, so Kihi Kwan as Waymond, he clearly, he's like shifting personalities and he goes from kind of like a fun-loving, you know, kind-hearted dad, basically, that wants to do the right thing. But then he has this other personality that's like a badass action guy. And I was like, oh, okay, is that just going to be the movie that they have like other personalities that are good at fighting or something? Um but no, and then it somehow introduces you to that, and then it slowly kind of gives you uh, the greater world, which I was like, oh, wow, this is paced so well. Like, it, like you said, Austin, it's like they introduce that so that whenever they start building upon it <laughs> after that, it kind of feels natural, which how by the end, like this movie feels natural is crazy. <laughs> There's a raccoon ratatouille joke in this movie, and it makes oh total sense. God. It was so good. <laughs> I love that. It was, it was incredible. <laughs> All right, well, we've given you our non-spoiler and the initial spoiler thoughts so far, so let's see what the critics had to say. So Everything Everywhere All at Once received widespread critical acclaim and currently has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. So if we were to potentially compare this to the last movie we talked about on the podcast, which I don't know, what was that one? Oh yeah, Morbius. It may be fun to know that this is 81% higher. Has it dropped? Because it was at 17. Uh, it dropped to 16. Oh, Morbius, no. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> we got to redo our game. <laughs> uh, sorry, Matt Smith. Uh, the site's critical consensus is, led by an outstanding Michelle Yeoh, everything, everywhere, all at once, lives up to its title with an expertly calibrated assault on the senses. All right, so positive reviews centered around all the performances of the cast, with most reviewers mentioning Yeoh specifically, who was able to show off her range by jumping from emotional beats to great comedic timing to her well-known martial arts skills. The premise serves as a great launching point for the film's imagination and vision. And finally, it's a great combination of playful and tender with the ability to jump back and forth at any time. In the few negative reviews we could find mentioned, some of the underlying themes may not have had the best resolution. By nature of the multiverse and numerous versions of remaining characters, at times, the story can be overwhelming. I would definitely agree that this is an assault on the senses. I think that's a perfect way to, to kind of sum up this movie. Um, there's a, a scene where you're like flashing through the universes all at once and it goes on for like three minutes. And I was like, I'm going to develop epilepsy from this scene. <laughs> like it needs to end. Um, I mean, overall, though, I do agree with all the highlights. I think um, there was a call about it being playful and tender. I think I wanted more of the tender moments because when they hit, they hit very powerfully. But I, I don't know if there's enough of the tender moments to like look back and be like, oh, yeah, there was like a positive message in that film. The majority of the film for me is like a kind of a nihilist message. And then it it tries to come back on that premise towards the end of the movie, but I don't know if they resolve that very effectively. I think that's kind of what worked about it, and that'll be kind of fascinating to dive into later, because like I said with my initial thoughts, it sounds like I like the ending of the movie a lot more than you guys, whereas you guys maybe liked the first and second acts more. But yeah, and to kind of just set up our thoughts on the themes, I, I took it the exact same way as you, Austin. and I feel like the entire thing has a very nihilistic message, and they even just repeat the whole mantra of nothing truly matters several times in the movie. But the setup towards the end with the whole, you know, kind of using kindness as a weapon instead of, you know, violence, actually, I thought was cheesy when they first set it up with Wayman saying it. But by the end, like watching 
Evelyn using that to kind of help people and then have that help Joy. I was like, okay, so is the theme like kindness in the face of nihilism or something? And if that's what it is, and I love that, um, but that's what I took away from it. So the ending worked a bit more for me, but I totally hear your guys' critiques as well. Yeah, it's only cheesy because originally he goes, my weapon is kindness. And I know you think that makes me weak, but that's how I choose to fight. And that wasn't cheesy. Where it gets cheesy, then during the final action scene, it cuts to Wayman and he goes, Evelyn, be kind. Yeah. It's like, oh my yeah. God. Little things like that. It felt almost like a studio kind of putting in like, hey, can you guys like film an extra scene where he says, be kind, just in case the audience doesn't get it. <laughs> but it turned out we were like, yeah, we know. So yeah, there was a little goofy <laughs> elements like that. All right, guys. So with that, it's time to get a little bit deeper. Let's get into our roundtable discussion. Break this all down, if we can, because there's a lot to talk about. So who's going to start us off today? I kind of want to expand on what we were just getting into there. Um, what was the message or meaning that you guys took away from this one? Yeah, I would say the overall message of it was that, well, man, I don't know. <laughs> there's so many ways you could take it. You kind of have to, com- I think to answer that question full, you kind of have to combine the sci-fi with like the family aspect of the story, which you could easily separate and say like with the sci-fi stuff, you could say the version of that you know that you're living this life right now is not, that's only one version of you. All the decisions you make in life branch off into other, other versions and multiverses of you. That's that version. And then there's like the family aspect where like, they, they, which they kind of try to say like nothing matters, like everything you do. It's going to have consequences, but no consequences at the same time. So I don't know. It's pretty, you can get pretty deep with it if you want to, or you can kind of just look at it from afar and just be like, yeah, I don't know. We're just into multiple universes. Who knows what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Like we said already, I mean, I think a big part of it when we get towards the end is this whole nihilistic take on the world that is kind of personified by Joy in her multiversal form, who feels like in the alpha universe, she was splintered off and she was forced into this. And because now she's, been given this ability to see all these multiverses, so many different possibilities and choices to her, like nothing matters. And, you know, she would rather just not experience that at all because it's hurting her. The idea of, you know, kindness in the face of that, I think, like we've already said, it could have been super cheesy, but and by the end, I found it very powerful. So I really like that. And then watching Evelyn and Joy kind of come together in the end, I thought worked. And that kind of ties into the other thing I took away from it, which, you know, a big part of this movie, like you said, Keith, if you strip away the sci-fi and the action elements of the movie, you are left with, you know, our main character, Evelyn, who in this specific universe, if you want to call it that, she's somebody that is miserable. And I think you could very fairly say that she's miserable because she allows herself to be miserable because she looks back on her life and she regrets some of the choices she made. She's constantly wondering, like, God, if I hadn't made the choice to leave China with Waymond, I mean, where could I be? What kind of life could I have? And in reality, you know, she has a very good life. She has a loving family and, you know, they have this business. With, even if it's not doing great, they have, they have a lot. And she kind of chooses to ignore all of that, ignore her family, ignore these things that could make her feel better. But she allows herself to kind of wallow in the sadness. And I think that kind of reflects later in the movie with Joy. And as the movie goes on, I think we kind of see that. And, and whenever you bring the sci-fi elements back into it, when you have like Alpha Wayman being like, God, you are like the least successful version of Evelyn, which means you have the most potential. And it's kind of played for laughs. But then when you get to the end, it's like, and then you see her kind of, um, I don't know, you see Evelyn go on this journey over like this, you know, little over two hours. And she kind of looks at where she was at the beginning of the movie. And she's like, you know what? 
maybe in this universe, I don't have everything that I thought I would. Maybe I thought my life could have been much better, but ultimately I have all of these great things in front of me, a great loving husband, an amazing daughter, and I've kind of neglected it for a while and I should have you know, kind of embraced it more. And being here right in this moment in this universe with you is where I want to be. And that kind of ties in with the whole being kind thing in like the face of negativity. And I thought that was all super powerful. So that's what I took away from it. And all that worked for me. I think there's a few different ways you can take this one, kind of like Keith said. I, the cynic in me wants to say the point of this movie is is nothing matters. Nothing matters, so why do we treat each other this way? Another thing is nothing matters, so we might as well be kind to each other. We might as well be kind to the chaos that is this life. I think there's a really interesting story beneath the surface, too, of family trauma and how that can get passed down through generations, too, because Evelyn is suffering from the way her dad treated her, and then Joy is suffering from the way Evelyn treated her as the result of the way she was treated as a child. So I think there's, there's other themes, too, around the way trauma can get passed down through generations, which also kind of ties back to we should be kinder to each other. Um, so I think overall, if I had to sum it up into one word, I think the theme would be kindness. But then there is quite a bit of just chaos and, and nothing matters mixed in there, too. I guess the overall message I, I guess you can take away from it is like most of the time you're going to think that nothing matters. But then in the end, it all matters because at the end, uh, Joy's getting into the car to drive away and Evelyn's about to let her go. But then she doesn't let her go. Gives her a hug and, and they invite her back into the party. If nothing mattered, then she wouldn't have done that. She would have just let her go. I think that's the right opinion. I think that's the right way to look at it because, you know, with, with nihilism, there's an obvious flaw to it, which is if you believe that nothing truly matters, if you accept that and apply it to your personal life, then, you know, maybe you'll get something out of it. Maybe you'll live some life the way you want. I don't know. Maybe you'll get something out of it personally, but you're, you have to accept that you're going to push people away. And, you know, like, as we see in the end, that almost happens, you know. Accepting that belief of nothing truly matters almost leads to Joy kind of abandoning her family and Evelyn almost accepting that. And like you said, Keith, that wouldn't have been the right move. So watching them almost go there, but then like pull back and like, wait, no, that's what are we doing? And then kind of embrace each other, I think, is kind of the reflection of that at the end. I did like the way the be kind aspect was reflected in the final fight with Evelyn turning the violence into positive things for each of the characters. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Not only was it cool to look at, but it meant something, and the way they shot it was awesome. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. Well, I mean, I said at the beginning of this episode, but I'll say it again. I think the beginning of this movie was awesome, and I know, Matthew, you're a little bit more down in the beginning and more up in the, the ending, but I just like the way it established the characters and like the story as a quiet family, and then I think we said it earlier, it was really cool how fast they jumped into the whole multi-universe technology with the, the earpieces and everything like that. It was all over the place, but they did it in such a cool way. Um, what do you guys think about that, how, how quickly they jumped in? The fact that it just starts out as an immigrant family being audited by the IRS, like that's the opening premise of the movie. And then it immediately jumps to, we're going to be jumping through multiverses and there's all these different ways to inherit powers from your multiverse selves. And it does all that so fast. By the time you hit the 30 minute mark, we're already deep into a multiverse story. And so the way it escalates from an IRS auditing story to a multiverse jumping sci-fi thriller is so quick and was like so just engaging and sucked me in so quickly at the beginning of this one. Yeah, like I said, that's what I loved about Swiss Army Man too. Like Daniels in their stuff, they just are like, you know, people are here for kind of the weird surreal stuff that we have to offer. So let's just get into it quick. You know, 
I feel like 99% of movies are like, well, you know, in the first like 10 minutes or so, we have to really introduce everybody to our cast of characters, give them a scene that kind of shows off who they are. And look, that's great. Obviously, there's a reason that works and that people keep doing that because it, it's effective and we get to know these people. And then, you know, by the end, we can see the journey they go on. But I think by doing a movie this way, where you just so quickly get into the thick of it. I love that because there were still so many moments like 45 minutes in or an hour plus in where we're getting to know Evelyn and Waymond and Joy, even though it's like we're in this weird multiverse story. I think that's so cool. Like they could, yes, could they have spent more time in the beginning, like introducing us to like to this world and their family dynamic? Sure. But I feel like by the end, I still got all those things without all that baggage and like bloated screen time in the beginning. So I loved how they handled it. I loved how we got to it so quickly. Because they could have gone a different way with this. They could have opened up in another universe with Wayman being in that van with the, the technology on and them explaining all of that. Oh, for the first point. 30, 40 yeah. minutes. Like the Matrix. It literally could have just been the Matrix. Yeah. That's a good point, Keith. I was, I was actually kind of scared that once we saw Wayman in the van, I was like, and like the people operating him, I was like, oh, are they going to become like main characters? Like, are we going to now spend a lot of time there? And sure, that could have worked, like you said, but I'm glad we didn't do that. They also could have taken the Eternals route where they give you 18 pages of text at the beginning of the movie explaining all the dynamics of this world and why one world has fallen and how there's a new power that's come to rise up and all that stuff. Ugh, I haven't thought about Eternals since we saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to watch that movie ever again. <laughs> On that note, though, do you guys think all of the sci-fi aspects of the film are explained effectively, um, like particularly how the verse jumping works for each of the characters? I think I would have had problems with the sci-fi if the movie hadn't gotten so weird. Because I was with you, I was like, okay, so how do like the Bluetooth, I guess the Bluetooth is just how they communicate and can kind of connect to all the other universes. Waymond always has this phone where he can kind of like track like almost like a i don't know what you would call it, like a like a graph like a like a star chart yeah like a star chart and like each of like the stars represents like a choice made and then there's like always branching timelines and stuff and i was like okay sure i guess that makes sense but if the movie hadn't gotten weird after like if we weren't watching people like do a full-on cannonball onto a butt plug in order to activate their powers if we weren't watching people like doing the most random ass actions in order to like get a green light to unlock some of their multiverse's power, then it would have been an issue. That's what I'm kind of getting at, though. Do you think the fact that you have to do the most random thing possible to differentiate from your timeline to activate that, do you think that was explained effectively, like for, for general audiences? Well, no. I mean, definitely not. For general audiences, no. Like, yeah, no. I, I would say no. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think it needed to be because as the movie went on, I think if you had an issue at that point in the movie, like, what the fuck's going on? I think, you know, like a few minutes later, you're probably like, OK, I, I guess that's just how it works. And kind of like we said, it's just like you just accept it because you have to and the other characters and it accept it. So I ended up not having a problem with it. I thought I would. But since the movie became just such a crazy thing, I, I thought it was funny. But yeah, I can understand how the whole like, OK, do the most random thing you can think of. It's a little bit goofy, but I kind of liked how goofy it was. I think a lot of that stuff I, I was able to just kind of go with. I think the one thing that kind of confused me was the uh, the Joba storyline with Joy. I didn't quite understand that, and I think I must have missed some some lines which maybe explained it. I know Joba was like this evil spirit, I guess you could say, and, and throughout all the universes that 
that has created this black hole that's trying to suck everything in through a bagel. And Joba possessed Joy's body, right? So I just didn't quite understand all that. And, and how Joba was eventually cleansed, I guess I just missed all that. That, that kind of wrapped up in a weird way. I can see why you're confused, because that's how they initially set it up, is that Joba Debaki took over Joy. I think by the time the credits roll, what you're, at least how I took it, is there was an alternate version of Joy that was the really smart Evelyn's daughter. Evelyn pushed her to a point where her mind broke within the multiverse, and she became Joba Debaki, thinking nothing mattered. So I don't think Joba Debaki was ever an actual spirit. I think that's just who that Joy became. Oh. And then she started traveling through the multiverses, looking through another Evelyn. Everybody thought she wanted to kill her, but I think she was just wanting to reconnect with a different version of Evelyn who could become just as powerful as she is. Okay. I like that. That's cool. Because they showed a quick scene. It was very quick to your point, but they did show a scene like like her like in a chair, like experimenting, and it's like the multiverse hits her all at once. So it's like Evelyn pushed her too hard. And I, based on the dialogue, it seems like the implication is like, Joy, unlike most people, like unlike Alpha Wayman, for example, like who has to like switch bodies, it sounds like Alpha Joy slash, you know, Jobu Tupaki experiences all of this at once. And that's kind of what pushes her to like a potential villain role, just in the sense that like when she started experiencing everything, it it, it scared her. And it's like, wow, if all of this is out there, then nothing really matters. And yeah, then to Austin's point, it seems like that ties into like this just random kind of sad sack version of Evelyn, you know, ends up becoming like the most powerful version. And that's kind of what Jobu Tupaki wanted to kind of find a different version of her mother that maybe she could relate to. Because it seems like the implication is Alpha Evelyn was very focused on this scientific discovery and probably had no time for her daughter in a different way than our version of Evelyn didn't. Um, and so she wanted to, I guess, find, you know, a powerful version of her mom that maybe she could then relate to. And I do think Jobu Tapaki be became one of the most interesting and sympathetic villains that I've seen on screen in a while. I was kind of rooting for this character by the end of the movie. Like, they kind of make you really care about her. And I like that she clarifies her goals aren't really to kill or annihilate worlds. It's just that's what happens because she believes nothing matters. But it's not something she's setting out to do. This is just happening because nothing matters. I think the thing that also worked is as you get even further in the movie, because at first you just kind of feel bad for it's like, oh, Alpha Evelyn kind of just pushed her too far and splintered her mind, basically, like we're seeing our version of Evelyn go through the same thing. And that sucks. That's not fair. But then as the movie goes even further along, once um, Jobu and our version of Evelyn start talking more and they're like meeting in the that white chamber where this black hole is, which turns out to be an everything bagel, which shout out, guys, there was so many bagels in this movie. I was like, I was so hungry. <laughs> I, was like, I wanted a bagel so bad. Um, but yeah, and then at that point on, you feel like an extra version of sympathy for this character because it turns out, oh, yes, in her pursuit of what she's doing, multiverses, or like I guess universes within the multiverse are being destroyed, but that's not at all what she's trying to do. It sounds like if I re maybe I read it wrong, but it sounds like, oh, this black hole that we're being introduced to that Alpha Wayman mentioned is the purpose of it isn't to destroy like the whole multiverse. It's it sounds like, you know, Joe Utapaki is like, I made this to, you know, kill me. Like, what's the point of any of this? Yeah, she's trying to take her experience away is what it sounds like. Yeah. So it turns out to be a much more personal thing, even though it's like this grand multiverse threat. It's a very personal thing for our villain to, you know. In, in a way, almost kill herself, even though it's 
I don't know what would have actually have happened, but that's kind of the idea at least because nothing matters. So I should just end this because I hate this. And it's like, wow, yeah, it becomes a much more sympathetic villain. So I'm kind of with you. It, it, it's kind of the whole thing people talk about is like, are they a villain? Are they an antagonist? And this is like, you know, a classic example. This is just our story's antagonist because by the end, I understood, you know, where she was at. It was very sad and kind of a, could relate to that character in some ways. I think uh, I think Wayman even eats a bagel at one point. He's like, ooh, cream cheese. Oh, and he, he does, because <laughs> I was like, oh, I want a bagel so bad. My world doesn't have cows. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like, there's no dairy. <laughs> you got to eat. <laughs> How does Kihi Kwan sound exactly the same, by the way, <laughs> as he did as a kid? <laughs> he does. Um, I did want to dive into something here. I know we're kind of jumping around a lot, just like the characters in the movie, which I love. But I did want to clarify, because at the beginning, I was talking about and throughout our conversation that... Well, you guys loved the beginning. I was a little bit lukewarm on it. I enjoyed it, but I, I just didn't, I wasn't hooked in for a while, like I said. But then there was a change that happened where I was like, oh, this is so cool. I love this. I want to kind of explain what that was. It's about 30 minutes into the movie. It's after at this point that Alpha Wayman has kind of gone on his initial journey with um, Evelyn. And it's like, oh, I guess he's going to somehow be her mentor and teach her how to have her multiverse power or whatever. That's kind of cool. We see some fight scenes along the way. So we start to kind of understand how it works. And I was like, okay, I guess that's just going to be the rest of the movie. This is going to be an action movie. And then, of course, Alpha Joy, Joe Tupaki becomes the villain. I was like, okay, that was a little expected, I guess, but that's fine. But it wasn't until right after that, after that initial um, action scene that we talked about where Joe Tupaki shows up and kills a bunch of people by exploding their heads into confetti and like attacking people with double-sided dildos. Where then it's like, uh, I guess, alpha version of Gong Gong, Evelyn's father, shows up and is like, all right, got to kill her. And it's like, why? It's like, well, if you kill her, that'll basically give her one less multiverse to come to. So it just buys his time. So go ahead and do it. That I was surprised because that felt like a weird second inciting incident of the movie because it felt like we had such a clear idea of what the movie was going to be. And then it completely shifted. It's like, no, I'm not going to save the multiverse. I just want to save my daughter. I'm not going to let all of this reflect on her. I'm not going to kill her. I'm not going to do that. Whenever she kind of protects both of them and now Waymond and Joy are kind of brought into the action as well, then the rest of the movie kind of just becomes about Evelyn's journey to get all these powers so that she can be powerful enough to confront Jobu. Um, I thought it was so cool and like not kill her, kind of just relate to her and hopefully save her. I was like, wow, I, did, I, I didn't expect that. I just love that moment in that room that they're locked in where it's like, kill your daughter. And then it's like, no, I'm not doing that. And then that's what really, really hooked me in that I got super interested. I thought she'd bet the killer, to be honest. I was like, wow, this is going to take there a was really a moment, weird yeah. turn. Yeah, she's going to go up to her. She was going up to her with the, uh, the box cutter. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, shit. Like, she's actually going to do this. <sighs> yeah, I didn't know what to expect in that moment. I was like, okay, is she going to kill her? And then somehow it's like, is she going to have to like destroy this universe to find a better one for herself or, and then like somehow ends up in that with her family. But then I was like, oh, by the end, that's the opposite of the point. You know, you have to be in this universe, in this moment, as you said, in the end uh, and do that. So the idea that she kind of pushed everybody away and is like, I'm no, I'm not going to listen to the alpha versions of my family. I'm just going to save my daughter. I thought was super awesome. Yeah. So before we close out, I definitely wanted to just dedicate a segment of this podcast because there are so many individual scenes to talk about. So like, what resonated with you guys just at all in this movie? Um, it can be something emotional, comedic, action-focused, sci-fi, fantasy, whatever. I don't care. I just want to know like what individual moments or sequences stuck out to you. I think the underlying like relationship story between Waymond and Evelyn was really sweet and, and heartwarming. 
especially the kind of the closing moments when when Evelyn just signs the divorce papers and Wayman still steps in whenever the IRS shows up and finds a way to save her. And she's like, what did my idiot husband do? And she kind of has this moment where she takes a step back and, and realizes like what she has in a partner and, and all the things yeah. that she's been looking over and, and finds a way to appreciate her family. During that scene, my wife just like reached over and started holding my hand because it was hitting her the same way it was hitting me. And yeah. kind of just like taking a step back and appreciating what you have um, in your current life, I thought was a really sweet and tender moment that really hit me in this film for sure. Yeah, there was, I don't know if you just mentioned there, Austin, but uh, there was a scene with uh, Waymond and Evelyn in one of the like the better universities or the more successful Evelyn universities, you could say. Yeah. Waymond just kind of reaches over and tells her like, like, I would rather be with you just doing our taxes and struggling than be here. That was the so scene good. that got my wife yeah, to be here apart. That one kind of, yeah, that one like hit me hard. I was like, that's, that's cool. <laughs> that hit me, that hit me hard. Cause I really, I think that, that is the message of this movie. But other things that resonate with me, I guess you could call it the old school kung fu karate kind of action that they kind of can do now with like more modern visual effects. That was fun to watch. A standout action scene too is when, they are escaping from the kind of the, the smoke bomb room that they're in and she's twirling the riot shield after inheriting oh, yeah. a, a yeah. sign twirling version of Evelyn, which <laughs> also seems like that one might have been another very low tiered Evelyn in the grand scheme of the universe. But <laughs> that action was sweet in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. I loved everything you guys said there. Um, that's definitely where I started to get a little bit emotional towards the end because it, it yeah, Every scene in this has like multiple meanings, which I love. Like Keith, you talked about the, I guess it was the movie star slash maybe you know kung fu master Evelyn, uh, who it's like our Evelyn kept wanting to go to that universe. Basically, she even made like jokes about it, like "Well, I want to go back" because like that's like the most successful version of herself that we see and that she sees, and basically just concluding that by seeing like a successful version of Wayman too. And this is a universe where. They didn't get together. Like, they didn't go to America together. And what, yeah, him saying that line, just like, ah, I just wish, you know, we could have been together doing just menial tasks, doing our taxes, running that laundromat we talked about. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was a beautiful thing that because not only was it emotional and not only did it impact the current scene, like with like with the whole kindness message, but it also, you can think about it within our version of Evelyn's head, who's like somehow watching that scene from successful Evelyn's eyes and, She's like, ah, yes, I should, even in the most successful version of myself in terms of like material things, you know, my partner just wants to spend time with me. It doesn't matter what we do. Just, you know, even these small things. And neither one of them are happy in that yeah, world, too. Not, Wayman yeah. even says, yeah, I had success, but I'm not happy. And I think she realizes that that version of herself isn't happy with all the Kung Fu stuff because it seems like her mentor in that universe is very strict and controlling. Yeah. And I believe that scene directly transitions to her. That she's gotten drunk at the party and used the baseball bat to destroy the window. And that's the scene where she like, or even despite that, like you said, Austin, Wayman like tries to talk to Deidre to convince her to give them more time and he succeeds. And then like she has that conversation with Wayman in that universe and comes back then like they hug and it's like this really like beautiful moment. It's like, gosh, yeah, yeah, I loved it. Deidre Bodidra. All-time great character name. All-time, and that kind of transitions to my uh, <laughs> standout moment that I wanted to talk about. I guess it was partially in that same universe. Maybe there was like a like a diverging point that we didn't see or something. But watching uh, Evelyn walk outside <laughs> of the party and sit down with Deidre and be like, "So what did my husband say to you? Like, 
how did that work out? And kind of they, they, they're able to connect for the first time because it's like, well, you know, I had somebody that handed me those same papers that you got handed. So I get it. You know, we live in a world where, you know, we just are unloved. And the way Daniels and the entire team and the actors took that scene, transitioned back to the craziest universe where you have everybody has hot dogs for fingers. <laughs> An ape with normal hands was defeated. So now we have hot dog. Yeah. That was such a funny scene, <laughs> like showing, two, <laughs> showing the beginning of 2001 <laughs> and the ape they killed has normal hands. Uh, God, that was good. But the way they take this element of like, yeah, you know, I got handed divorce papers and I felt unloved. And then it cuts to a universe where everybody has hot dogs for fingers. So it's like, you know, how could you find someone you love? And that's the only universe that we see where it seems like, you know, Evelyn and Deidre are together. And it's like, oh, why have they been showing scenes of that throughout the movie? And then it's like, oh, it's supposed to be the payoff to this super sweet moment. And even though they live in a world where like they look so ridiculous, like they're in love and they're happy and they're dancing together, having a beautiful time. And then it cuts back to Evelyn, who like they share a vape together, like they laugh together, they hug together because they are loved. And like Evelyn tells her that. And it's this like, wow, <laughs> how was that moment? Just a random thing paying off. Uh, hot dogs in general and there's a payoff on another level from the hot dog story because she's able to take that and say even in the stupidest universe where we have hot dogs for hands we got very good at using our feet and that helps her in the final fight like there's so many levels to it whenever hot dog evelyn wipes jb lee curtis's <laughs> tear with her foot well and then even in the uh the regular evelyn evelyn universe whenever she's fighting uh, Jamie, or she's fighting Deidre. She's like whispering, "I love you" to her, like as she's fighting her. Yeah, that's true. That was like the first like random thing she had to do. So it kind of tied back to that. That's a good point. And then Jamie Lee Curtis gets her head just put through a wall. <laughs> I thought she died. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, well, as usual, if you guys want to wrap up with kind of our very end thoughts, I know we talked a lot about just you know like the ending of the third act where. Like we had to use kindness and help all of Joby Topaki's minions uh, by looking at what hurt them in previous universes and save them in our current one, which is super cool. And that kind of leads to that scene that we've mentioned where our version of Evelyn and our version of Joy come together. So what you guys, you know, think of all that? Like I know, like I like we've already said, I really like the ending. So I definitely want to start with you guys. I want to hear like, did this work for you? Did kind of the lead up to the scene work for you? Like, just the ending in general, like, because this is kind of where all the themes supposedly have their big payoff. So tell me about this. Like, what worked, what didn't? I know I started out this conversation by saying I, I think a lot of the themes do get muddled. Um, but as we've kind of been talking here and, and breaking down what this would be meant to each one of us, and we all kind of took different things out of it, I think the fact that they were just able to take us on this insane sci-fi multiverse universe jumping story and still end it with a tender, heartwarming family story that wraps up in a really sweet way is really impressive. And I don't know how Daniels pulled it off, but hats off to them because this is, in my mind, one of the best movies of the year so far. I had my, my nitpicks with the last 20, 30 minutes where I, I did think it was kind of repetitive times where I was just kind of waiting for it to wrap up. It's kind of like it established everything and that was all it was going to do. But then when it finally did get to the end, and after talking to you guys with it, which is the best outcome ever is when we're doing these podcasts, is that I always like that I can, I can like the movie more by the end of talking to it or talking through it with you guys, which I do. I, I think after talking through it, I actually like this movie a lot more and letting it simmer a bit helped out. And getting to the end, like I said, with the, the car scene or, or standing outside the car scene 
with Joy about to drive off and Evelyn stopping her was was really cool. Um, and I think it definitely wrapped it up in a in a neat way and satisfying way. The resolution too of of redoing the beginning of the movie where this time they take their daughter to the IRS agency and and Becky's there and she's more involved with the family um and Evelyn is 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 kissing Wayman to show she appreciates him like I think that little nice bow I know that was a bit repetitive from what we just went through with the car scene but I do think that did add kind of a nice bow on the finalization of the movie and I like that they didn't hold off on they didn't go too far away from original characters which I loved as well because like I really liked seeing that we haven't really talked about it, but I mean, we're three white dudes. So I, I, I don't know, you know, like the cultural touchstones or whatever, but I mean, obviously it's a big deal that Joy is gay and Evelyn clearly has a problem with that. I think like we already talked about the family trauma, a lot of what Gong Gong did to Evelyn informs what Evelyn does to Joy. And I think in as kind of like the middle person there, a lot of what Evelyn is doing is because she wants to impress her dad. So I guess in some ways, she feels like Joy being gay is a problem. And like kind of like the progression of coming to terms with that and like watching her confront her father and introduce, you know, Becky, Joy's girlfriend. But still, even then, it's not quite right because it feels like it's too much of like proving a point and standing up to her dad. It's not for Joy's like kind of like a weird thing. And then, yeah, just like kind of cutting to the end and seeing that moment where... You know, Becky's just part of the family. You know, she drove her there. I love that. But I like that it's it's not like a perfect thing where it's like, oh, Becky, you're the best person I know. I laugh so hard when Evelyn's like, Becky, you need to grow your hair. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they, just, they kind of just like laugh it off because it's just like, that's Evelyn, you know. So I really like that. And then, like we also said, one of the first things of the movie when they first walk into the IRS is Wayman looking at like an older couple and seeing them despite their age, you know, there's still a passion there. And that kind of reflects later with the divorce papers that he, it's a passion that he wishes he had, but he doesn't. And then watching Evelyn kiss him in the same spot is just a really cool ending. And I liked, I liked a lot that the multiverse was still kind of present at the end in a weird way, whenever Deidre's like, all right, guys, this is great. There's still some problems though. And we don't really hear what the problems are because Evelyn is like hearing the multiverse going on, except instead of like in the beginning where she's like, like, you know, she's like, what's going on? Like, I'm not, I hate you. Like, screw you. Like, she's like, oh no, I, I, she puts herself in that moment. She kind of is able to hear the multiverse, but then kind of ground herself, which I thought was super cool. Cause that's kind of what she had to do in order to reconnect with joy. So man, yeah, just to love the little epilogue. So good. I really, I was really worried they weren't going to effectively be able to wrap all this up. Cause they, they go all over the place in this movie and, and they did. And I can't believe they pulled it off. At some point in my life, I do want to get high and watch this, but I, I was just gonna yeah, say. I am scared that I would. I am scared I would die if I did that. <laughs> so. I was just about to say that. I was like, for all you fellow stoners out there, take an edible and go watch this movie. It'll be the trippiest thing you ever see. <laughs> it might be scary. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. I think that kind of covers our thoughts on everything, everywhere, all at once. Really enjoyed that one. I guess before we officially go into our closing ceremonies here, I mean, coming into this review. Maybe more than anything before. I mean, I like I said, I really like this movie, but I wasn't fully. I wouldn't say I loved it, but I don't know. I, maybe coming away from this, I think I, I think I really loved it. Um, so much I took away from this movie and talking with you guys, I think really solidified that. So before we close out, I mean, where are you guys at with this? Because we kind of said our thoughts at the beginning. We never do this where we say our thoughts at the end. But are you guys kind of in a different place? I mean, what is your final thoughts, kind of review wise, on this movie? Like, like, love. Where are you at? I'm. I loved it. I'll be shocked if this doesn't 
if this isn't nominated for the Academy Award at the end of the year. Yeah, I think I can move more into the the love marker. I, when I get when I first got out of it, I was in the at the like, but now I think after talking through it with you guys, I'm at the love mark. So I'm glad you're ready to take that next step, Keith. That's a big commitment going from "I like you" to "I love you." Mm-hmm. And the the step beyond that is putting a hot dog finger in somebody's mouth and watching ketchup and mustard fall out, which I had to look away from every single time because <laughs> I was gross out. <laughs> and then the step beyond that is divorce papers. There you go. Beautiful circle of life. (laughs) So with that, let's go ahead and close out, guys. Of course, you just mentioned the Academy Awards, but as I always say, the Arn Academy Awards are where it's at. So guys, what do you want to award today? What are you looking to give a shout out to? It can be positive or negative, anything in between, what you got? I have to give the only award I can get for this movie, and that is... The honorary Mark Hamill Most Improved Actress no, don't to do Jamie it. Lee Curtis. 2021, she does Halloween Kills as Laurie Strauss. And then 2022, she comes back as Deidre Bodidra and everything, everywhere, all at once. She embodies the entire spirit of the honorary Mark Hamill Most Improved Actor of the Year Award. Okay, good. I thought I was scared that you were just going to give it to her in general. And I was going to say, how dare you, Austin? She's been charming us for years, but specifically from Halloween Kills to this, that's very fair. She needed that award. (laughs) My God, my God. (laughs) I'm bringing back the best hair award to Deidre Babidra. The no no bangs look, I was digging it. Beautiful. Oh, Keith might be going to a a like from a love with Deidre Babidra. Ooh, nothing wrong with that. Um, Yeah, mine's easy. I just kind of mentioned it. There was moments in this movie that made me look away, and I was joking. But in all seriousness, there was one moment in this movie where I literally could not look at the screen, and it happened about 20 times in rapid succession, and every time it happened, I closed my eyes. So, officially, everything, everywhere, all at once, my award goes to the most horrifying moment of the year, and it is Kihi Kwan as Alpha Waymond having to perform his random action of putting paper cuts in the middle of his fingers oh, in order to was rough. get yeah. powers. And they did some wide shots where I was like, okay, it's kind of funny watching him do it from a wide shot. That's one thing. But they did several close-ups. And I was like, I, uh, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I closed my eyes genuinely every single time. There was a girl in my theater who was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> That is a good thing to say. I kind of mentioned it earlier, but also that that group of people that left after the movie included some older people. And I think at one point, one of the girls, like they didn't like the movie, but one girl was like, what about that part where she flung around the double-sided dildo? And I'm not joking when I say this. Like this older man, good for him, good for him. But he was like, I like the scene where he did a cannonball on a butt plug. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, all right, partner. Well, with that, no perfect ending. So thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you ever get your podcasts really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday for Robert Eggers' next epic historical action flick, The Northman. And just like this week, where we broke down kind of a, a mind-bending thriller, last week we talked about Severance from Apple TV+. Plus. If you want to hear our thoughts on the workplace, kind of sci-fi drama starring Adam Scott, 
be sure to scroll back on your podcast feeds and check that out. And lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us the Arnie's media at gmail.com. What did you think of everything everywhere all at once? Will we see Kihi Kwan return as short round in Indiana Jones 5? Please. Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. All right, everybody. Thanks again so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week. Like we said, we'll be back for the Northmen. If you're ever feeling like nothing truly matters, just remember, be kind. There's people there for you. We love you. See you next time. See ya. I need a bagel.